And I got up from my forward roll and I looked to my right and I saw Joe Royal, who was the Everton manager, <laughs> and he looked at me and, he, and if looks could kill. <laughs> oh, dear. Hello and thank you for downloading this episode of My Dad Pod. I am a father to a wonderful little being named Evangeline, which is why I wanted to create a place for all people to come and celebrate the wonderful, exciting, sometimes scary, but absolute joy of fatherhood. And so Dave Berry's Dad Pod was born. Each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest to talk all things dad. And this episode, I'm joined by an icon of British sport, a former professional footballer, manager, TV presenter, and one of the best-loved and most entertaining sports pundits to grace the airwaves. He's a father of two sons, Ben and Jack. It's Chris Kamara. Hey! Hey, Cammy. Ah, Mr Berry. It's been a long time. It's nice to see you. Ah, it's great to see you too as well. We had some fun in... Back in the day. We did have some fun back in the day. Uh, we might get into that a little later. Um, so, Cammy, look, you've conquered the world of football, you've triumphed on TV, and now you're taking on the charts, and it's all going really well. Oh, Your no. debut album, Here's to Christmas, is, is going great guns. Oh, um, how did it come about? That's what everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to know, yeah. Well, I did um, All Together Now um, for the BBC show last Christmas. Um... Rob Beckett and Jerry Halliwell, they're the um, presenters and they have a hundred people, cabaret singers, comedians, the whole lot, and they stand and they judge you. So the, my agent rang and said, do you fancy it? And I said, yeah, of course. No bother. He knows I like singing. So I said, I've watched the show. I want to sing Brown Eyed Girl. Oh, what a great choice. So I said, because after 30 seconds, the 100 can join in. So they'll join in with the la-la-las. So he came back and he said, oh... Oh, a tactical decision. I like that, Cammy. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he came back and he said to me, uh, they've got too many d people doing sing-alongs. Would you mind doing a ballad? And I said, no, no, I, I've seen the show. They, they won't stand up if I sing a ballad. He said, well, it's not like you, is it? You normally go into these things and just have a bit of fun. And I went, yeah, you're right, aren't you? So I said, OK. I said, but if I've got to do a ballad, it's got to be from my hero, Elton John, your song. Oh. So he spoke to them, can Cammy sing your song? And they said, yeah. But they picked the second song as well, which was another ballad. And I thought, oh, crikey, it's a lovely song, Callum Scott, Dancing on My Own. Mm. Beautiful song. Hard one to sing, and, yeah. I, and if I'd have got through to the final three and I didn't fancy singing another ballad. Anyway, I was in second place all the way to the last two, and then Omid Jarley came on and sang Goldfinger. Da, da, da. So the, the 100 were up, so I got dropped down to third, and excuse me if I've forgotten her name, uh, Ian Beale's wife in EastEnders, Scottish actress, Laurie Brett. Laurie the Brett. Lovely what a lovely Laurie Brett. Wow, what a lovely lady. And my apologies, Laurie, if you're listening. She came on and yeah. sang Simply the Best. So I got kicked oh, out of third okay. place. So okay. that was it. But I wasn't too bothered because I didn't want to do it. Anyway, Adam Greenup from Silver Screen Records was watching the show and he thought my voice would be perfect to sing with a 22 piece big band and a conductor in a swing style, nine covers and one original song. What a great phone call to receive. Who oh. doesn't want to receive that phone call? <laughs> I know, but you imagine if I'd have sang Brown Eyed Girl, it probably wouldn't have happened. 
So Fate, Fate and Saturday Night Entertainment Television was on your side. It was indeed. Um, mm. So you've got this Christmas album, and uh, it's an extra special time for you because your birthday is on Christmas Day. It is, yeah. What was that like growing up? Did you have to divvy up the presents? Did you try and get your birthday presents earlier? Do you, uh, feel, hard, do you feel hard done by? Yes. Has it affected yes. you as an adult? It has, yes, yes. <laughs> it's only when I go back to it now and I think about it. At the time, you don't know when you're growing up. We didn't have a lot of money back in those days, so to get one present was a bonus. To get two, one for Christmas and one for my birthday, probably never happened. But I, I'm not complaining. You are who you are. You know, history uh, is history, and that's the reason why it's there, and you can't change the course of it. But I never had a drink on my birthday until I was 38. Wow. This is why you're in such great shape, I know. I? Is this the I know. I've made up for it, it since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, the last few years <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but the reason why I never had a because we always played on Boxing Day. Always. So I retired from playing football at 38, and then when I was 39, I can't remember Boxing Day after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's interesting because, as you say, you're, you're playing a game on Boxing Day, sometimes away from home mm. as well. How was that with, with the boys, Ben and Jack, growing up? Were you able to prepare them for the fact that Dad's not going to be here this yeah. Christmas because he's going to be away with the team? And, and how did you go about tackling that? Did you try and have, pardon the pun, did you try and bring Christmas forward a little while onto Christmas Eve or something? No. Um, what we did is we had Christmas morning all together so some some clubs if you were at home some clubs would train on the morning some clubs would train afternoon and if you were traveling away from home you would train in the afternoon before the coach took you away so various times but we'd always have you know what kids are like they were up at the crack of dawn on christmas day because yeah. they're so excited yeah so it never interfered with that I'm brand new to parenting and you've got more experience than me when it, when it comes to that and probably many other things as well. How did you find navigating your way through parenthood during your footballing career with the, the home and away? And we just touched on Christmas Day and the way you would make that work. Was it partly trial and error or was it the strength of your partner being able to lean on her? Yeah. And yeah. Is that, That's become a big theme here on the Dad Pod. People yeah, mentioning it, that. it is. I have to say my wife probably brought the kids up. You know, I was there, but I'm not like my two sons are with their kids. They're different, you know, they do the cooking, they do the cleaning, they help as much as they possibly can in the looking after the little ones in terms of taking them out on their own, you know, whereas when we went out, we went out as a family, you know, so we'd all go out together. Whereas my wife would, you know, would soldier on and do the things. That's the way I was brought up. I tried my best, obviously, of course you do, and... Because of the fact that you're away from home two or three times a week, you, d you don't get as much time to spend with the kids. But when I see my two boys now, I wish that I had as much time with my grandkids. I have more time for my grandkids now when I'm at home. We spend the whole day with them and we look after them and take them and they can stay over whenever they want. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly a different world to when I was... A dad back yeah. in the day. There's a generational mm. thing here. I think mm. a lot of the dads, and we've had um, Emma Willis, a mum on here, who has spoken about the involvement that 
that you're fortunate to have in certain jobs, you're, you're able to be, because I do a breakfast show, I'm able to be with Evangeline throughout the day, which is really mm. nice. And, and, you know, and I love that. There's other jobs, of course, where you kind of miss out on those years. Mm. And, there's some, and some people are very rueful about that. So that's why it's great to have the grandkids. Yeah. Because just looking at my dad, what he's like with his grandkids, oh. mum and dad, it's like they get them, they get all the fun. It's brilliant. And it's then a you whole just hand world. them back, as the old saying goes. To be honest, we don't want to give our grandkids back. But it, <laughs> it is a whole new world. Yeah. And, and it's brought me and my wife closer, which is brilliant. Because all you want to do, you just live for that phone call from either one of your sons to say, oh, will you have Connie today? Will you have Solomon? You know, and it's like, yeah, of course we will. You know, drop everything. It doesn't matter. Whatever we've got planned, you know, we'll have them. Um, how old are your grandchildren? Uh, well, Solomon's just over two. Right. Connie will be two in February. And Billy is nine weeks old. Oh, She's congratulations, Cammy. Yeah, lovely I know, Billy. Three. <laughs> a new addition. That's so lovely. I was going to ask, because I was uncertain of their ages, that, you know, how they react when they see they see Granddad on TV. Is that something that they've Solomon's take, take just on? getting used to it. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. what's his reaction to it? Is he uh, like pointing at you, pointing at the screen? Yeah, or? yeah. well, he's, he's amazing because um, every time you get a camera out now, he gets ready to pose because <laughs> if we walk in the streets of Leeds or in Wakefield or whatever, everybody stops you for a selfie, doesn't they? So he's been watching and watching and wondering probably why are, why are people asking you, Grandad, for a picture? But he's never, you know, obviously he's too young to say anything. He's just over two. Because I'm a legend. Is that what you want? <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as anybody gets the camera out now, he just gets ready to pose oh. like his grandma. <laughs> it's incredible. That's lovely. <laughs> There are certain career paths, I think, in life which will go across the generations and for many more years to come that will set off alarm bells mm -hmm. for parents. And I think entering into the world of professional football mm -hmm. is one of them. How was your dad when you said that you wanted to do that? Um, totally against it. Okay. Totally against it. No way. I think, I think the unfortunate thing that I had, that it was Middlesbrough where I was born, so I had a fellow called David Richardson who came to the house and said, look, we'd like to have your son as an apprentice footballer. And my dad just said, no, not at all, no way. He made my brother join the army. So what he did is he marched me down to the recruitment office in Middlesbrough and I joined the Navy. And so yeah, can you imagine making your kids do that in this day and age? You know, mm. when Mike, no way, you know, mm. you've got to find your own path, do mm. whatever you want, boys. But fate once again, you know, we're talking about all together now and getting the, the album from that. Fate took a hand. When I went to Tall Point in Devon and signed up for the Navy, the Navy football team trained there. So I went down to watch them train and eventually, eventually they let me have a game because initially they said, no, there's three things against you. One, you're black and these lot will kick lumps out of you because don't forget it was in the 70s then. Uh, two, you're too skinny, um, not strong enough to be playing against men. And three, you're only in the Navy on a trial period for six months. So until you've actually signed full-time for the Navy, we can't dra draft you into the football team. I went down again about two or three weeks later and was running around the track and the um, Naval coach came to me and he said look I'm two players short for a practice match would you play on one side and I'll play on the other so I said yeah great thanks scored two goals 
and the rest was history. They, wow. made, they made an exception from someone who was only on trial in the Navy to go straight into the Navy football team. We played against Portsmouth. Portsmouth bought me out for £200. It still goes down as the worst deal in the club's history. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and the, the Navy sent a letter to my dad to say, if it doesn't work out as a footballer, we'll take him back in the Navy. So right, he, so so what, he was what happy. What a set of circumstances, what adversity. So your dad was happy with that? He, he, he was happy that with that letter, yeah, yeah. But obviously you didn't have to go back into the Navy. Yeah. You, 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 know, you had a, a long footballing career. And then you went, you went into management after being mm. a player. Do you see any comparisons between being a manager and being a dad? When I listen to former footballers like yourself, people going to management, and even if they're still playing now, they talk about the arms round. Mm. They talk about that idea of carrot and stick, discipline. Yeah. And do you see any comparisons between the two? A little bit, okay. a little bit. You know, the the one thing about being a dad is there's a hundred percent love. So no matter what your kids do, you know, and it, you know, let's be honest about it. When they're under the age of sixteen, they don't do anything that is really serious. They annoy you and upset you, but don't do anything. Whereas players, when I became a manager, I didn't realise that a manager was sat at home worrying what I was up to on a Thursday or a Friday night. You know, and I, when I became a manager, I'm thinking, I wonder if they've gone to bed at half ten tonight. I wonder if they've gone to bed at eleven. I wonder if they're out drinking. And that's, wonder, that's times a whole squad of people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go through the whole lot. When they have a poor game, what was he up to? You know, what was he doing? You know, players come in late for training, don't have a decent attitude, and all that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, it takes on a new dimension. You know, whereas today, today the modern Premier League manager doesn't deal with all that. He deals with the training and the coaching and the picking of the team. He has other people to deal with all that, liaison officers, you know, to deal with any player's problems, you know, family problems. You don't know what's going on in a player's head, you know, a bereavement in the family or whatever, how they're going to respond to it and all that type of stuff. And when you become a manager, it's just crikey. So, no, I'm not sure there's any real relevance, you know, apart from the fact when you absolutely love and people who come in and do the business for you. I remember I got Chris Waddle from Falkirk. I signed him from 50 grand. Everyone said he was finished in the English game. And uh, I signed him from Falkirk and I said to Waddle, I said, what are you doing up in Scotland? He said, I didn't want to be there, but nobody else has come, come in for us. So I said, come and play for me. And all I want you to do, I will get the players to give the ball to you. I will get them to give, the, and then you do your magic from then on. And he did, and he was absolutely magnificent. And I loved him. What a I player. loved him. Yeah. Oh, completely loved him. And the players will tell you, I would say to them, look, you know, if you give the ball away, look, give it to him, because he won't give it away. He will not give it away. And it, it was absolutely incredible for me. We played Everton in the fifth round of the FA Cup. And I'd been watching the videos of Everton and Neville Southall was one of... Well, in today's game, Neville Southall would be brilliant because he, he wanted to be an outfield player. Even though he was a goalkeeper, he wanted to be an outfield player. So he'd be on the edge of his box getting the ball from his defenders and then kicking balls or passing it to them and everything. And I said to Wards, I've been watching the video 
and Neville Southall is on the edge of his box all the time. If you get that ball anywhere around the halfway line, have a pop. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so we we got to Goodison that day, and he had to have a fitness test, Wads. So Wads is on the pitch. Just as we're coming off the pitch and walking up the steps to the changing room, Neville Southall's walking down. So uh, he went, is he fit or not? And I said, yeah, he's fit. Stay on your line. He went... <laughs> Yeah, good luck. And I thought, oh, crikey, I've given the game away. Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes into the game, um, Wayne Jacobs, who was my fullback then, passes the ball to Wards on the halfway line. He didn't look, Wards. He didn't look. He just took one touch out of his feet and sent it sailing. Neville Southall's on the edge of his box. We're 1 0 up. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Amazing. Come yeah. here, my son. <laughs> um, but after that, oh, I've got to tell you this. <laughs> now, because we'd planned it, right, I didn't know what to do with myself on the touchline. So I did a, I did a somersault, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is the manager. Sorry, not a somersault, a roly poly. <laughs> <laughs> this is the manager of the opposition team. I did a I did a roly pole, a forward roll, right? <laughs> and I got up from my forward roll and I looked to my right and I saw Joe Royal, who was the Everton manager, and he looked at me and, he, and if looks could kill <laughs> Oh dear. When I went for a drink afterwards because we won in the office, he he couldn't bear to look at me, Joe. We we laugh about it since then. Yeah. <laughs> The roly poly is, is, is a bold move. It really is a bold move. I've got to tell you my Roy Keane story. Have I got Please time? Do. You have oh. got time. Right, he was manager of Sunland. Yeah. I was in the Marriott Hotel in Cromwell Road, Kensington, right? So uh, he's the manager of Sunland. Now, we used to stay there. We don't stay there anymore when doing Sky. So I get in the lift on the fourth floor down to the ground. Third floor, it stops, Roy Keane walks in. So, Sunderland was struggling at the time, so you know what it's like with the, the lift. So, the lady goes, going down. I said, I think she's talking to you, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, he looked up and he didn't give me the glare. I could see a glimmer of a smirk. <laughs> I oh, can, that's wonderful. Yeah, I can see a glimmer of a smirk. So, When was the first time you took Ben and Jack to a match? When did you take the boys to their first game? Do you remember it? Uh, well, my wife would have taken them when I was at Swindon. Okay. So uh, initially at Swindon, I think um, both of them, yeah, they were both born in Swindon, so she would have taken them when they were little babies or whatever. So, yeah, as father and son, we have done... The World Cups since 2002. Oh, wow. Yeah, together. How wonderful. Yeah, which has been absolute... F we've had so many great trips. So not only the football there, of course, but so many different cultures and so many different people yeah. and so many things to explore. Yeah. Enriching your children with those experiences yeah. through through something that, as you say, came about into your life that you desperately wanted, looked like it wasn't going to happen, and now you're yeah. kind of paying that forward to the next generation in your family. Oh, without With those doubt, experiences. Yeah. Well, I've been fortunate enough since 2002 to work with the FA and to work with the not the actual team itself, but to work with the families 
and entertained some of the the FA guests and all that sort of stuff. So that's afforded me the ability to take Ben and Jack with me. So that they've been great trips. And the last one we had was in Russia. So we had a bit of time in Russia, although we we only flitted in and out of there. France, I think, before that was was great. We had a month in Marseille. Just me and the two boys. It was How lovely. So good. How My wife lovely. popped out for one game, the Russian game, and there was trouble inside the stadium in Marseille against Russia. And England fans were jumping from 12 foot high to save their lives, and all, loads of people got injured. So she said, I'm not coming back. I wasn't too disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I was. Have I got time to tell a Jeff story from Japan? Stop asking if you've got time, Camille. Oh, the floor is yours, my friend. Honestly, ahead. right. So, you know, like I said, my kids have come along to a lot of World Cups, but myself and Jeff have been to loads. You know, we get on absolutely fantastic. 2002. We went to Japan together. We had such a laugh. We had such a laugh. We go to uh, Kyoto because Jeff's promised his missus that it's not just a boozy football trip to go all the way to Tokyo. He'll take in a little bit of culture. (laughs) So I said, what do you promise at that point? (laughs) You know, going halfway around the world, you should have a look. So he says, on our way to Sapporo to see England play Argentina, he says, let's go to Kyoto and look around the temples. So we, we've got um, Soccer Saturday's producer with us, Ian Condren. So we go to one temple, and now if you've seen one temple, you've seen them all. <laughs> we go to another temple, and they, they're great and they're beautiful, you yeah. know. I've been to Kyoto to yeah. the temples there. Yeah, yeah. There's one with the gold, yeah. seat, the gold roof and stuff, yes. So that was it. <laughs> so, so that was it. So then we, go, impressed, out, we go out for summer to eat, and me and Jeff always had to have one for the road. So the producer goes back back to the hotel, so... We go into this bar, the only one we can find in Kyoto. We go into this bar, and these young Japanese kids, about 20, 20, probably 25 was the oldest. And they've got, you know, um, is it the Lazy Susie? You know the thing yeah. in the restaurant where they've got the uh, keys. So they've got keys in the Lazy Susie, and they spin it round, and whoever it stops on, you've got to drink your drink. So I said to Jeff, come on universal language let's go and have a bit of fun with these so uh, so they get the lazy Susie and they welcome us they can't understand us but hey hey you know so we spin it round and I've quickly realised that if I push my body close to the lazy Susie I can affect where it stops (laughs) (laughs) on Jeff (laughs) so I just keep saying to Jeff unlucky Jeff you know so you have to down his drink and then we get another one anyway at, at, but in about half an hour, he said, Cammy, I'm sloshed. I'm sloshed. Yeah. So I said, oh, we, he said, we've got to go. I went, oh, Jeff, come on. It's only about quarter to 12. And he goes, no, I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm sloshed. So we get up and we go out. Anyway, I said, come on, Jeff. There must be another pub down here. There's a light on down there. So as I say that, he turns around and he knocks this Harley Davidson bike with the big handlebars through the back windscreen of a car. The back windscreen. So we did what all good citizens should do. <laughs> <laughs> we ran. 
Cubby and Jeff pegging it through yeah, the yeah. streets of Kyoto. Yeah. So we'd been training while we were there, and I was hopping quicker than Jeff ran. But this time, he's back at the hotel quicker than me. He's gone, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I went, no, don't worry about it, Jeff. No one knows. He went, no one knows. You got a five foot four, fat, five foot four, fat Englishman, and a six foot two black man. In the only people in Kyoto, the police are going to come. So I went, oh, don't worry. Don't worry, Jeff. We've got a flight tomorrow at 12 o'clock. We'll be gone. Let me also ask you, I ask this to everyone who's been on the dad pod, a piece of valuable dad advice, because I'm a new father and uh, there's a lot of new dads listening to this, a lot of new parents, new families, should I say. Uh, Matt Willis said, nothing lasts. Everything is constantly changing with your kids. So go with the flow. Rob Beckett, I know he's a good friend of yours, he's a previous mm-hmm. guest on the podcast. He said, take your time in the bathroom. He said, it's the only time I get. He said, I yeah. wanted to grow my hair, grow a beard, just so I had to spend longer in the bathroom getting ready. Tim Minchin said, put your phone down, just enjoy the moment of fatherhood, don't try to film everything. What would your dad advice be to everybody listening right now? My dad advice would be, I constantly, and I'm making an effort to do it once a month, to ask him how things are. Right, it's it's a constant thing I have to do financially, uh, relationship-wise, how the kids are, do they need anything, do they need any help, do they want anything from me, business-wise, do you need any any help from me, either financially or can I ring up and use my influence to help you along in any way? And that's what I do constantly, all the time, all the time. And hopefully, you know, they appreciate that. They appreciate at times, you know, they go, sometimes, no, no, Dad, we're fine, we're fine. You don't need to keep asking. No, no, but I want to ask. I want to find out to make sure that things are fine. So constantly, constantly asking your kids. The one thing I don't want them to do is say, look, we've got all these bills and we can't afford to pay them. Because I can. I can afford to pay them for them. So I want to help them. You know, sometimes their partners don't appreciate the help if you know what i mean mm-hmm. so they they want to fight their own battles and you know why you keep relying on your dad the whole time but i just keep saying look i don't want you to wait until i'm dead to enjoy my money i want you to enjoy my money while i'm alive well i think that again a theme that's come up from time to time here on the dad pod is that passing it forward to your kids it's the most natural mm. thing in the world to do if you are able to, to mm. help them then you should i think beyond fatherhood I think asking people if they're okay is a very important thing in, in this day and age. I think mm-hmm. from a mental health perspective, it's nice for someone to be checking in on you, and particularly if that person's your dad, then that's, that's, you know, that's really lovely to hear. Finally, Ben and Jack will hear this back in 15 years. What would you like to say to them? Wow, in 15 years, right. If I'm still I around... I told you I'd be number one at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're amazing because they just go with the flow. My, my wife's the one who says, oh, God, what are you letting yourself in for now? Um, in 15 years, if I'm still around, I'd just like to say what a pleasure it is to have two fantastic sons who have given me more pleasure than I could ever imagine. Cammy, Chris Kamara... Such a pleasure having you on the Dad Pod. Really some beautiful things in there and some very funny stories as well. And um, I'm sure you're going to be around for many, many years to come. And and congratulations and continued success with all of the wonderful work you do in sport and on television and with the new Christmas album. It's fantastic. Here's to Christmas. Unbelievable, Jeff. 
I promised myself I wouldn't do that. How can you not love Chris Kamara? Check out Here's to Christmas, Cammy's debut album right now. So, you know the score. If you're enjoying listening to my dad pod, please do share it with a friend. Leave us a nice comment and rating, like, subscribe, all the usual stuff. A massive thank you to Daniel Hedges, Jambob959, Claire Woe, Mark Allwood and Jason Elwell for doing all of the above. A special mention to Michelle D, who says it's the first ever podcast she's listened to. What an honour. Thank you, Michelle. Keep up the good work, everybody. And thanks again for listening. What happened there? I don't know, Jeff. I was loving the show so much, I wasn't concentrating on the game.